Welcome back to episode number 191 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast for building a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your show host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we're doing an instant update on a 2021 seed preparation facility explosion in Silverton, Oregon. So before we jump in the episode, I do want to say thank you for everyone who reached out. We did miss a couple of weeks of the podcast and a number of folks have emailed us and said, hey, is everything all right? They were checking on us, checking on the team. They're all right. We actually just had a change in podcast editors. Brad, our long-term podcast editor, who's been editing the podcast going to the fifth year now, is on to bigger and better things. So we need a little gap there to train the team up on how to do this podcast editing process, how to you know make me sound really good when we do these interviews, when we do these podcast episodes. I do want to thank Rona, who's taking on this responsibility now moving forward. Some of our other team members are getting trained on it as well. So that's why there's been a gap between this episode and the previous one is we were getting some of his editing stuff figured out. So if you're listening to this in your car or at home while you're doing your your host chores or at work or at the gym or wherever, uh, that means that we had the editing figured out and things are rolling again. So thank you for your patience while, uh, while waiting for that process. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about this incident update. Um, we're going to talk about why incident updates are important. What did we know about this specific incident in Silverton in Oregon beforehand? What kind of questions were there that were you know, left unanswered from the incident? What was available from the enhanced incident research that our team did, uh, looking for incident reports from fire marshals, uh, doing Freedom of Information Act requests, following up over time, trying to get to the bottom of collecting more information for what happened for these type of incidents? And what do we learn from this extra investigation work? How can it be applied moving forward? So let's kind of start off talking about why, why incident updates are important. So you'll know by now, certainly, that we run Combustible Dust Incident Database which is our measuring stick for reporting, generating lessons learned, understanding challenges with combustible dust, fire, and explosions around the world. We use this to measure the progress against our Road to Zero mission, which is having one year of zero fatalities worldwide by 2038. And as part of this incident database, we've really been trying to figure out, okay, we have, I think, over 1,200, 1,300 incidents logged over the last five years since running the database, release incident reports. How do we you know, go to the next step? How do we make this information more valuable to the community? How do we generate more information that can be used then to feed back into driving things like, you know, improving safety procedures, driving policy at a government level? How do we just, you know, increase the, the work that we've been doing? And some of this stuff that you hear from the podcast today is based on a project that we did with Dalhousie University. It was called View Dust. View stands for V-I-E-W, which is Verify, Improve, and Expand on Web-Based Dust Explosion Incident Reporting. This was sort of a pilot project we did with Dalhousie a few years ago with Dr. Paul Amy out there and a student, um, Amen Dowd. And we kind of tried to develop some protocols and procedures for verifying incidents that come in through this sort of web-based reporting that we do, how to improve the information that's available for the community, how to delve into more of the technical areas and how to expand upon that information. And one of the main findings from that work was sort of developing a protocol to track these incidents over time. It's really you know, good and useful information to know that last week we had a wood pellet explosion in New Brunswick and maybe another one in Georgia and one over in the UK. That'd be a very busy week. But you know what happened over time in terms of the information that we understand and know about those? So you know, there's at least three things that can kind of happen. We can have an incident investigation where the results are made public. We can have updates on victims and survivors or from victims and survivors. And we can understand the long-term impacts on the community and the company involved of these type of explosions that we don't get if it's just sort of one data point entered into the database. So we started doing this with the larger loss instance where we do have injuries and fatalities. We're actually tracking them over time and trying to improve and expand upon the information that we have for these instances. 
And one of these big things that we've been doing is for our research team, which is mostly run by Rose and a lot of the work that she's doing, of actually going in and reaching out to fire departments, trying to get access to investigation reports, doing Freedom of Information Act requests, reaching out to point of contacts in other countries and trying to just establish, is there more information available that we don't know yet today for this database entry? And can we improve that? Can we improve you know, on the equipment that was involved, understanding the technical assessments, what the root causes were, what some of the takeaways were, how we can prevent this from happening again in the future. So that's really what you'll be hearing from these incident updates as we move forward. You'll be seeing these being published in the new Dust Safety Journal that we just released a few weeks ago. That's at dustsafetyjournal.com. It's our bi-monthly magazine that we're publishing from Dust Safety Science. In there, we'll have a list, an itemized list of any of these incident updates that are done. And we'll also be reporting these out on the podcast as well, like today. So one kind of last point here before we jump into this incident from Oregon, I do want to kind of note, you know, put a a real big exclamation mark here that all the time, (laughs) these incidents are extremely traumatic to the victims, survivors, families, companies, owners, first responders, local government jurisdictions. They can involve loss of life, loss of limb, loss of product, loss of jobs, loss of, you know, and lots of other, you know, mental, physical, difficult challenges. And no one knows beforehand that, someone was going to be killed that day or that someone's going to be permanently injured that day. If they did, they wouldn't have came to work. So I do want to make a big point here that we're not placing blame on any of the folks that are involved in these incidents. And it really is our responsibility to avoid one, doing that, to be responsible to instead try to learn what caused the set of circumstances that occurred on that given day, understand why there were deficiencies in the safety program that were present in the moment in an acute manner or that were not managed or that were you know, present over the long term, it had become part of normal working routines at that facility or in that industry or with that type of material with the end goal of really trying to understand how to prevent these similar types of incidents in the future. So we're talking through these incident updates, even all the, you know, over a thousand incidents that we have in the incident database, we really want to take a high degree of responsibility in respecting those that were involved and also being aware and being cognizant, having some sort of compassion really for what's happened on these type of incidents in order to try to move forward and, and move the whole community forward together. So with that being said, let's jump into this incident today. So we're going to talk through what we knew about the incident beforehand, kind of outstanding questions there were, what was available through the enhanced incident research that our team did, and what did we learn overall and what can be applied moving forward for the broader community. So in terms of what we did know about this incident, on March 23rd, 2021, Local news stations reported a dust explosion at a seed cleaning and crop preparation services company in Silverton, Oregon. The company involved did not have a website, but an online corporation registration website suggests they were founded in 2009 and employed approximately five people. So a pretty small facility. It was reported that on March 23rd, first responders were called out at 9 a.m. Seeing the second floor engulfed in flames, they quickly upgraded the fire to a three alarm response with you know a large number of firefighters, large number of vehicles to, to tackle the fire. One employee was found deceased on the second floor of the building, uh, while another worker was taken to hospital for smoke inhalation injuries. And that was really all the information that was available from local news sources. They did mention that it was a dust explosion, although there was a large fire component. And, you know, there's several kind of questions about the incident that remain to be answered in terms of this initial reporting. Some around the circumstance, so was it really a fire explosion? There are some photos that show the level of destruction being quite high on the second floor of this seed cleaning facility, but it's often hard to tell in these cases whether or not that destruction is due to a large fire causing the roof to collapse or an explosion causing the roof to, to blow out or both as in most cases. What type of equipment or process might have been involved in the explosion? 
what kind of operations were taking place when the explosion occurred. These are really good indications of how that can be prevented moving forward. Really good information for folks that are doing things like dust hazard analysis to be able to understand what kind of challenges are leading to loss in those types of facilities. There's a video of a bucket elevator or in some of the photos and in the video on the local news reporting coming up through sort of the center of the building with some shoots down to the second floor. But it's not clear. It doesn't look like there's an explosion in that bucket elevator, at least those videos. And it's really quite difficult to tell, you know, what piece of equipment are involved. Uh, There's a two-story dust collector on the side of the building. So we know there's different types of processing equipment. The questions, the unanswered questions are really around, well, which of these might have been involved in the explosion? And that's a question around how the incident happened. How could it prevent it moving forward? They did mention during interviews with the fire department that they believed that cleanup of excess material in the area was occurring when the, the dust explosion occurred. So then what information was retrieved from the investigation report? Well, through a couple of months, our team was able to reach out, connect with the fire department and get access to the investigation report once it was published. This is Silverton Fire Case 21-447 with the date of March 23rd, 2021. And the report states a, a couple of things. So they state that the incident happened in the second slash third story areas of, of the seed cleaner part of the facility. The deceased was found on top of fall down material on the ground floor, which suggests that he'd been on the second or third floor when the incident originally happened and, and then fell down. The deceased had been on the third floor removing a tarp that covered a seed waste and chaff bunker. This bunker funneled waste seed and chaff to a conveyor, which took it outside of, to the outside of the structure. And they do note that the seed cleaner was not in operation and that they're actually in the process of dismantling that bunker for new equipment to be installed when the explosion happened. They did note that the power to the seed clean conveyors was turned off. Conveyors were locked and tagged out when the explosion happened. They also note that the owner was able to show video surveillance of the ground floor directly under where the deceased was working when the incident happened. While watching the video, and this is a note from the investigation report, dust could be observed coming from the doorway of the lower area of the bunker. There are periods of light dust, no dust, and then heavy dust coming from the doorway. The video showed four very quick flame bursts coming from the door area. Approximately 58 seconds after the flame burst, rapid expansion involved associated with extremely vigorous over release of energy occurred and they put in brackets a deflagration or an explosion. And then they also note that the investigation of that bunker doorway area showed extreme charring on the top and bottom of heavy timbers used for the floor and that this charring was indicative of slow burning that may have started hours earlier. It should be noted, and they say this in the report, that before the incident, employees were in the bunker room on the ground floor dismantling it the remains of tools and a ladder were discovered. And this was the day before the explosion incident. They do note the incident as accidental, undetermined fire caused with secondary dust deflagration explosion, followed by heavy fire resulting in one fatality and one injury. And they have it listed as a total loss. Contents of the facility, $1 million and property, $400,000. So $1.4 million loss in terms of dollar values. And I believe that was a, a total loss to the facility as well. So that was the information that was available in the investigation report. Again, you know, this is a very tragic incident. involves a loss of life, injury to another worker. And the question is, what do we learn from the investigation report? What kind of information comes out of there? Well, well, some things that come out in terms of the circumstance around the incident. The explosion occurred in the second floor in the vicinity of the seed cleaning equipment. It occurred near a bunker that funneled waste seed and shaft into an external conveyor. That they're in the process of dismantling the system for installation of new machinery when the explosion occurred. They do note that power to the seed cleaning and conveyor system was turned off and that this incident happened while cleaning and or dismantling and or removing tarp from this bunker containing this material. So some kind of key takeaways there. This wasn't, you know, an incident that happened during processing of the seed cleaning equipment. 
things were shut off. They were actually cleaning up and doing installation of new equipment when the, the flash fire and the explosion happened. They do note that there was heavy charring in the bunker doorway. This suggested the slow burning may have started hours before. And they stopped short of saying this was the ignition source for the explosion, but it does seem to indicate that there is a possibility that this charring, this slow burning fire sort of in the, you know, the wood of the door may have been the ignition source for the flash fire and the explosion that unfortunately engulfed the worker who lost his life that day. So some of the big takeaways here then that I want to kind of, you know, put a star beside in terms of what we got from the enhanced research that we did here around awareness and training. Takeaway number two is on dust hazard analysis. And takeaway number three is in challenges with small facilities. Let's kind of walk through these and we'll close with podcast interview from here. So in terms of awareness and training, you know, shutting off the equipment was a good first step if they did that on purpose in terms of before, you know, dismantling the equipment, cleaning up any raw material in that. But it's it's hard to tell at this stage what the level of understanding of combustible hazards was by the the people on the ground that were involved. And just making a note that, you know, awareness training, combustible dust safety training, just at a very high level may have helped here. Uh, even recognizing that dispersed dust in the vicinity of ignition source can cause a flash fire and explosion or vice versa, the, the high danger of working with equipment that can cause a fire in the vicinity of combustible dust, both of those could have came out of awareness, training, and understanding and could have prevented the explosion from happening. And another note here that, that might be important to consider is that any real cleanup activity like this, it may be a good idea to recommend fire-resistant garments. If this is out in the open or if it's in an enclosed space where pressure rise could happen from a deflagration, then it's, it might be a good idea to really have an extensive evaluation for ignition sources before taking this work on. So there's a couple different pieces around this awareness and training. Just having the awareness might be a good indicator to really perceive and really look at any ignition source that are created. Certainly about proper procedures when cleaning up a combustible dust. And they don't mention how they were cleaning up in this site or even if that they were cleaning up other than they were removing this tarp. And one of the fire department folks did say that they're cleaning up, but they don't say, you know, that they were used forced air or anything like that. It's just sort of a general cleanup when the explosion happened. So that's sort of the first big takeaway here is this awareness training may have prevented some of the things that caused this explosion on this given day. So the second takeaway here is the requirements for dust hazard analysis. It's not clear if a DHA had been completed at this site before the incident happened, but they certainly did have at least three sides of the explosion pentagon. They had the combustible dust, they had oxidizing medium, and they had confinement. When the explosion happened, then they had dispersion due to the cleanup activities in the presence of an ignition source, which may have been this charring, the slow burning that was happening in the wood in the structure of the facility. So certainly a DHA may have identified need to clean up material in this area of the sea cleaner. But another kind of thing that might come out of this likely is that an explosion elsewhere in the system could have certainly caused this incident to happen. So even if it wasn't due to clean up in the vicinity of smoldering combustion or slow charring, but explosion happened in the bucket elevator, the dust collector, that could have propagated back into the sea cleaning room. And under the same circumstances, having the same materials could have caused a secondary explosion. Actually, it could have been even much worse and caused loss of multiple lives, say, had that occurred, that sort of ignition scenario. So would have a DHA have indicated challenges with the facility inside of equipment and outside of equipment? Probably. And could that have, you know, highlighted a lot of changes that were needed? Maybe. But at the end of the day, the, the point I want to make here is that a risk ranking matrix or a well-done developed uh, implementation plan should have identified what the highest risks were and what needed to be tackled first. In this case, certainly having an area of the facility where workers are present, the sea cleaning room with material external to equipment may have been indicated as a high priority area there, either to clean up or to wear fire resistant garments and work in that area or to identify for extra evaluation when doing things like hot work in that area. 
all these could have came out as, you know, low cost fixes and safety guards put in place before even tackling some of these things like explosion isolation, retrofitting bucket elevators, moving bucket elevators. All these things may have came out of a DHA, but having an implementation plan, having a risk ranking could have identified the challenges that caused this large scale explosion and could have caused an escalation of an explosion inside a piece of equipment to, to cause this sort of destruction as well. So that kind of leads me to my third takeaway point. This, this is challenges with small facilities. And you hear this quite often, you know, if we put these requirements in place to do a DHA, to do this type of training, it's going to put us out of business. Well, so does an explosion that levels your entire facility. And in this case, you know, a DHA, it's, it's a very small facility. It's, it is two, I guess it's three levels technically, but the third level is quite small. It's two levels. It's a, just a couple rooms on each level, sort of size building run by five employees. You're not looking at a tremendous cost to have a DHA dust hazard analysis performed. It may have indicated the need for some more expensive prevention and protection equipment, some reconfiguration of the facility, maybe that would have required, you know, capital cost, but also could have indicated very low cost ways to prevent escalation of a minor incident into a major one, like cleaning up in a safe manner, the seed cleaning room, like having fire resistant garments on those sort of things may have been, you know, low cost solutions on the order of thousands of dollars that could have prevented the loss of life uh, in the injury from occurring in this explosion. So, you know, this will put us out of business is not a good excuse. And doing a DHA in a small facility this size isn't, you know, cost prohibitive by any mean. Maybe some of the configuration of the facility because it's been there so long is, is just not good. And you're going to have that list as an action item. But if you do your dust hazard analysis with a worthwhile provider, somebody that works with dust safety professionals, somebody who can recommend to you there, they should give you an implementation plan as part of your work and indicate what some of the low-hanging fruit are, some of the low-cost things you can do, and then you can work towards those larger capital expenditures over time as well. And that's sort of the last point I want to leave off here with is you know, these challenges with small facilities. It's, it's difficult to understand if the grain handling standard would have applied because this facility had less than, I believe, 11 employees, which I think is the, the minimum for OSHA, at least for investigations. So it's difficult to, to say, but at the end of the day, the things that would have been identified, the hazards that would have been identified, the risk ranking, the implementation plan, could have prevented things like dust accumulation and buildup in this cleaning part of the facility, indicated training and awareness requirements, indicated safer ways to clean up, indicated ways to go about doing hot work and how to do you know dismantling of equipment and those sort of things before even getting into some of the higher cost. It could have identified the higher cost elements as well, but some of the you know more expensive parts of reconfiguring a facility and providing you know explosion protection, spark detection, that sort of equipment as well which again is is nothing compared to the cost of losing the entire facility and going out of business that way as well at the end of the day. So that's what I'll leave off on. So this has been a, an instant update on this 2021 explosion at sea preparation facility in Silverton, Oregon. Again, I do want to thank the incident research team here and, and Rona again for taking on the podcast editing, but the incident research team for going and digging in, doing these Freedom Information Act requests connecting with fire departments, getting us additional information so we can really verify and enhance the information that we have in these instant database entries so we can provide more valuable feedback to the community, understand the lessons learned better, understand what actually happened today and how it can prevent it moving forward. So as always, I want to say thank you for listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. Hope you have a safe, productive week ahead. And I appreciate everything you're doing in industries handling combustible dust, making them safer with your work every day. 